Welcome to Dentology, the Business of Dentistry podcast. In this podcast, we delve into the non-clinical aspects of dentistry with inspirational guests from across the profession. You will hear incredible life stories, pick up valuable business tips and be entertained. I'm Andy Acton and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Drevens. Some people are just driven, aren't they, in every sense of the word of what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, it's a very interesting story. (laughs) The bit I loved was that she knew what she wanted at 13. Yes. Um, I had no no idea. I mean, 13 is just amazing to think, oh, I'd quite like to be that. Mm. Mm. And just went for it. Yeah. I love the bit. And for people listening, it's it's around about the 25-minute mark mm. where she talks about the process for decision-making. Mm. For somebody who has had to make and continues to make so many decisions mm. um, because oh, she's got two practices, a family, mm-hmm. you know, a business team, all the elements that are in there. She's making lots of decisions, but I love her her logic for mm. how she does that. And, and she's still young. You know, yes. that's, that's the, I think, the interesting thing. She's achieved and done quite a lot. And... Uh, the thing I liked as well was the fact of she knows that what she did was hard work, but she didn't see it as a super big risk. No. And that's confidence and understanding and planning, all those sort of things. Yeah. That to try and reduce the risk. Yeah, factors, very inspiring it? individual. No, really yeah, good. Really, really, good. really good episode. Here we go. Exciting one this week. It is. But aren't they all exciting though? They are, but 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 this one I'm looking forward no, to. Variety. I'm I'm interested in uh, talking a bit about the practice because it looks absolutely stunning but i know that it will be a bit of a journey to get to absolutely award winning practice award winning yes i've seen the plasticky holdy things or whatever it is yeah brilliant so let's get the introduction done so today 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 we are delighted we have martina hodgson joining us and martina's a dentist and practice owner of two practices the dental studio in wakefield which she's had for a while and more recently dental architect in leeds and also the co-founder of inspiring women in dentistry welcome martina how are you i'm good thank you for having me it's an absolute you're pleasure our pleasure on. you're welcome we've we've got it feels like we've got an awful lot to get through. I mean, we could just do a whole episode on the dental architecting leads. Mm-hmm. Your, your, I mean, it, it feels like a fairly new practice, but it's been open yeah. for a little while now. Uh, but you charted it so well in terms of over a year. Wow, wow. Over but before year, yeah. we get before we get to the dental bit and, and dive into your, your career in more detail, was there a time you can look back on your childhood and say, this is why I am the person I am today? What was your childhood like? I don't think um, I had, I mean, I had a lovely childhood. It was just very, very stable, very happy. Um, I can't really look back and think there's any one particular thing that happened or anything like that. I mean, my mum will sort of tell you that I was very kind of independent from a very early age, kind of strong-willed and headstrong and, you know, wanting to tie my shoelaces really early and all that kind of stuff. So I think I've always been quite independent and um, just... Where did you grow up, Martina? I'm actually an Essex girl. I say, because your accent is not a northern one. (laughs) No, so I actually grew up in Essex um, till I was 18 and then I went to Leeds University. So I was obviously there for five years. Then I went back down to London. I was in London for about four years. Then I met my husband, who's from Leeds and so we moved back up to Leeds because I really like Leeds anyway and that was in 2005 and then I've been here ever since so I have a very confused accent I'm confused uh, are there certain words that you sound very northern 
Yeah, definitely. But I think when I'm with Southerners, like as soon as I get off at King's Cross and I get into a black cab, I've become proper Cockney. In my yard, like, in the so, yeah. And then like as soon as I get off at Leeds, I become Northern again. So, but I yeah. think it's really funny with accents. My my <laughs> my, my, my father's yeah. from, from Manchester, but he um he, he qualifies as a teacher, went to Chester College, qualifies as a teacher, <laughs> came to London when he was in his mid-twenties. Um, but he still has certain words. And he went back to a, a school reunion. It was a 50-year school reunion fairly recently. And he was up in Chester and Manchester for two, three days. When he came back like home to London, his accent had changed. And I find it yeah. amazing how we do we morph ourselves to our environment so quickly if we're in a different space definitely and i think i think it's important in a way to kind of it's that empathy thing isn't it when you're talking to patients mm. or with mm. to kind of you know I, thought, I remember when i came up and although i've got an essex accent everyone thought i was really posh just because i would say bath <laughs> instead of path and things like that um instead of path and do you know what i mean so yeah yeah, yeah like that i can't change my fundamental pronunciation like it w would be weird um but then yeah i've definitely got a twang when i want to so how did you meet your husband well actually i went to university with his brother who was in the kaiser chiefs um so i was friends ah, with okay. him at university and then i was down at a gig in brighton and his brother was there who actually turned out to now to be my husband. So I actually met him through through my brother-in-law. Ah, uh, okay. I was just trying to work out in my head the chances of going to Leeds, then coming back to London, then meeting your husband from Leeds. But, but the, the chances on that must be quite random. And then now that explains yeah, so why. Yeah, through my friend Nick Hodgson, yeah, who was right. the drummer. Uh, well, okay, right, right, right. <laughs> excellent. So you, you, you decided at a pretty young age that dentistry was for you. And, and uh, I understand you were 13-year-old with your own braces. And yeah. that was a point at which you decided you wanted to, to be a dentist. Quite remarkable, so young. Well, I just thought it was really interesting and cool. And I've always played the violin and piano. So I played that from quite an early age and... Um, I also have always obviously really liked science subjects as well. So I'm quite dexterous, um, mm -hmm. but I really like the science side as well. So it kind of, for me, is that really nice marriage of kind of art, dexterity and science mm. um, that all come together within dentistry. So that's kind of why I went down that path. But really, I did decide I wanted to be a dentist. I wanted to be an orthodontist, actually. I was going to say, <laughs> did you want to be an orthodontist or a dentist? And then I wanted to be right. an orthodontist. And then when I went to Leeds University, I didn't really understand the training, the orthodontic training at all. So I kind of, it put me off. So then I just went into general dentistry, never really thought much about it until things started coming out that were more aimed at the general dentist, mm. like the in-man aligner came out. And that's yeah, how I yeah. started to get into it. So that was about 13 years ago. And then I, that kind of piqued my interest again. And, and right. then I went on the courses and just got much, much more in depth with it. Uh, did, okay. you, did you work that all out yourself, that, that you had um, a mixture of skills that were well disposed to dentistry? Or were you getting kind of careers advice through school that it might be something that would be pretty good for you? No, I think the careers advice at school was to be a nurse. Um, but yeah, no, to me, I was like, it was just, I can't, to me, it was just a no brainer. I couldn't think why I wouldn't do dentistry. Mm. It was just 
seem to have I seem to have all the skills necessary for it so I think it, it would that or medicine but then I felt like medicine I, I just I didn't want to stay up late <laughs> I don't want to work nice so yeah it was, for me. it was that or actually being a professional violinist so they were the two choices for me oh wow and I there was more career stability with dentistry it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because quite often you hear dentists say, it, or you sort of feel that there there's the dexterousness mm. of the and, and the ability to do sort of this bit, but also they need the creativity. And then you with your with your violin and your piano, there's that creativity music part, isn't it? Yeah. So in a way that builds you into also being the orthodontist you are, because they sort of all fit together, don't they? It's, it's fascinating. Yeah. I think yeah. is the, that that the, getting that little mix right. Well, I've seen people kind of explode out the word dentist and they say it's like a dentist, an engineer and an artist. And mm. you can see how it kind of does, mm. you, you, you've you got all, all those elements. So you went to, to Leeds University and you, you, you were saying that you were the first person in your family to go to university. That, that's quite an interesting thing for you to pick out of part of your story. Why, why is that important to you? I think I'm just quite proud of the the fact that everything I've done, um, I've kind of done without a help, you know, obviously people help me, obviously it's teamwork to get to get to where you are, but no one's kind of handed me anything on a plate. Um, yeah. I didn't have parents who gave me a nice lump sum to invest in a practice. You know, when mm. I first got to my first practice, that was me going to the bank and asking for the money and sleepless nights. And just doing it on my How own. How old were you when you bought your first one? So it was when I moved back up to Leeds. I became an associate at my at the dental studio, and that was in two thousand and five. And I was there about two years before I bought one of the two partners out. So I bought one of the partners out in two thousand and seven, and then the other partner retired probably about oh God, it must be about eight years ago now. And then I bought her half out. So it was. It was a kind of really nice gradual entry into transition as such, yeah. And it it wasn't anything that I ever dreamt of or wanted to do. Like I didn't really want to own a practice, but this guy who <laughs> just kept banging on at me till I bought him out. And because I'd been there quite a few years and I just loved it and I loved the people and the team, I just thought, okay, well. And when I look back now on the amount of money that I borrowed at the time, which I was having sleepless nights about, I'm just like, oh my God, that was such a bargain. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, it just, it's crazy. Like, you just can't buy mm -hmm. a practice for that now. So, no, no. You know, but, but also, I think sometimes in the early days of, of all of our business careers, having a bit of kind of naivety in there just to kind of go with mm. it because it seems like a good idea isn't a bad thing i think now and, and as you get slightly older you kind of analyze things a bit more <laughs> and it does you do get in your own way of, of doing things whereas i think when you're younger you're much more gung-ho yeah. to, to go about it so how long were you an associate for before you bought bought in as a partner I not very long but was it just two years well at that practice it was two years so i qualified in 2001 so right. it was six years into wow. after qualifying, yeah. Right, okay. But What's interesting is you didn't perceive it as a years. risk. No. I don't really, feel that getting, you know, listening to you, don't sort of thought, oh, you might have worried a bit about once you've done it, <laughs> but not I'm so not, much doing I'm, it. I'm not a risk-averse person. I'm, I really don't mind taking risks at mm. all. Um, 
you know, educated risks. And to me, yeah. it was a very well-established practice. I already had my own patient base. I already knew the team. I knew the ins and outs. I was going in with a, a partner who'd been at that practice 20 years. So, it, you know, the only risk was borrowing the money, I suppose, and, and it all going to yeah. the The only loser then is the bank, so. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. And they could, they, they could afford to lose it. Exactly. He said, you don't need to, you know, it's like when the bank has sleepless nights, that when you need to worry. Um, mm, yeah, well, there's, there's no... That same yeah. um, bank manager, David Marston, he's still my bank manager today. Wow, you know, yeah. So he, I've got this really long relationship, which is so nice. Um, mm. And, you know, he's just so supportive. It's been great. Which is, which is good. Which is just because <laughs> yeah. like, so many people have got to that stage but not borrowed the money. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we see a <laughs> they lot to push that button. Then. Well, we see a lot of people who um, are just serial tire kickers. They mm. they love the idea that they're going to own a practice and they go and view practices, but they never quite Commit. take that step. Uh, you know, in your case, it was signing that offer letter, borrowing the money. You know, taking over. So, credit you for doing yeah, it because there's a lot of people that, that like the idea. So you've obviously been in an environment where you've been an associate. You then worked in a partnership and now you're sole principal of, of your two practices. Um, not that many people kind of go through that kind of being in a partnership and then, mm. and then being a sole principal. Having the experience of both, which would you say you prefer? Do you prefer having a partner or are you a driven woman who wants to have it all her own way? I would never have a partner again. Um, that comes from years of experience and obviously the confidence that comes with that. Um, mm. I felt very held back for a long time. Mm. And as soon right. as I was able to fully take over, that's when the that's when I started doubling turnover and, um, you know, things really took off <coughs> because I was able to implement the things that I wanted to implement. For example, one of the first things I did, and it sounds crazy, is I got um, digital x-rays and then I got a then I got a TCO and I was one of the first practices, you know, in Yorkshire to have a TCO and to have a scanner. There was no way that, you know, it's a different generation of dentists who was my partner. Mm -hmm. She was going to let what, me have What a worlds were you operating in, Martina, to, to, to decide that a scanner was important for the future of your practice and, and you needed a TCO? What, what kind of part of dentistry were you being exposed to to have these ideas or was this just instinctive for you? It, it was instinctive because I've always been really passionate about the patient journey. Mm. And so I feel like if you can give your patients an amazing patient journey and look after them really well, the rest will follow. And so to me, the TCO was that step up in terms mm. of patient experience and patient care um, and something that no other practice was offering. So it was a USP at the right. time. And then in terms of the scanner, that came because I just at that time, I got the TCO and then I just started doing the Invisalign. So it started to all come together because mm. suddenly I thought, well, my TCO can now help me with the Invisalign. And then I could see where the scanner would come in. But again, it was an educated risk because buying a scanner at the time, I think it was, well, even now they're still really expensive. I bought an mm. iTero and I think it was about, I don't know, 30,000 pounds, which was a huge amount of money. Mm. And you know what? Um, well, I asked my accountant and I said, you know, do you think I should get this scanner? And he was just like, yeah, all the practices that have a scanner are more profitable. So when your accountant tells you to buy a scanner, mm. you know, you're like, okay, I'll buy a scanner. 
And I, I actually worked it out that it took three months to get my money back from that scammer. Wow. In the increase yeah. um, number of Invisalign cases that I sold. Mm. Well, that's a good return on investment, isn't it? Yeah. So I've got four now. <laughs> <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. So you've been, obviously going right back to your, your teenage years when you had the braces, that was this kind of the, the light bulb moment about dentistry and particularly orthodontics. And then you qualified and you, you were general for a while, but you've actually been involved in orthodontics now for 12, 13 years, something like that. It's been a, it's been a big part of your business. Yeah. So I think I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not an orthodontist. I'm mm. just a, a general practitioner. Um, yeah. but my practice is pretty much 95% dedicated to orthodontics, particularly Invisalign. And, yeah. um, I've, I've spent a lot of time and done a lot of courses. So, you know, I did a two year fixed course with Jonathan Sandler down in Bakewell. So that taught me how to do really, you know, big extraction cases, treat children. Then I went on to do the, I was in the first cohort of the clear aligner diploma. So that was another 18 month qualification. Um, and again, just like experience, just surrounding myself by people that I can learn from as well. So I do kind of like hanging out with orthodontists. <laughs> um, so I know there's that traditional kind of clash between general practitioners and orthodontists, but I think um, I hope that I have the respect of orthodontists. I'm never going to say mm. I'm a specialist. Mm. I'm never going to say I've got that skill set. Out of interest, Martina, why have you why have you never pursued the route of getting to a stage where you joined the specialist register? Yeah, because by that time I got two kids and a practice, and it just felt like that ship had sailed. I actually think I've got best of both worlds, to be mm -hmm. honest. I yeah, so you really don't really like, lose out, do you? No, no, not at all. I like that not I can finish the cases myself. I like that I can do that um, multidisciplinary dentistry mm. and plan the whole case myself and deliver it. I, I like that. So mm. Yeah, and I think as time's gone on, um, there's no doubt that, that many years ago, and I could end up upsetting a lot of orthodontists here, it, it, it was a true niche and a speciality. But I think with the advent of technology, you know, a lot of it being driven by a line, I think orthodontics has become way more mainstream, particularly on the clear aligner side, than it was many years ago. So I think it's easier for, for general practitioners to have an orthodontic element within a general practice than perhaps it would have been 10, 15 years ago. You've also been involved in this world for a while. How, how have you seen that evolution of clear aligners change over the last sort of 10, 12 <laughs> years in practices? The, the movement. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Boom, boom. Yeah. <laughs> I think... Obviously, it's just so widespread now and so many dentists yep. are doing it. And I think it can be a little bit worrying, um, the lack of knowledge that people are going into providing mm. clear aligners. And I can see that is going to be a big problem. And I see, mm. you know, these cases come into my own practice. Like I had a lady yesterday come in with and I, just the IPR, you know, that had been done. It was... The cry it was awful and mm. you know the case wasn't finished it was the teeth were still crooked and that oh, is wow. really, really concerning and, and did she think her treatment had been finished no she wasn't happy she wasn't right. happy with the result but she said you know she said this this dentist who'd done the treatment had told her she was one of her first cases and all this kind mm. of stuff um 
So I think that it is a bit worrying dentists that are going into it with zero knowledge. You know, they do a one day certification course and they come out and they don't really know where to start, which is where my new course comes in. <laughs> um, so I've just launched, I'm going to get my plug in. Um, I have just launched, uh, it's called the Aligner Launchpad and it's a two day course specifically aimed at those dentists who've like just done a day's certification and then just feel like, yeah, maybe they're not ready to commit to an 18 month diploma or like the other courses that are out there are a little bit advanced. It's really just to give them that little bit more knowledge and mm -hmm. uh, did the signal uh, just go then? Treat, treat cases safely. Yeah. So <laughs> if you're interested, you can visit my Instagram. Uh, <laughs> no, honestly, Martina, we'd be very happy if you could send us the link. We'll we'll drop yeah, it in the show notes. Thank you. We'll, we'll, we'll drop it in the show notes because the reality is anything that can help um, yeah, dentists help improve their skills, professional, you know, yeah. it, it, it makes sense to share that uh, because yeah. I think you're right. I think in any market where there's an explosion and a growth, the risk is that some people move too quickly and they're not prepared for it. Um, and because there's obviously a proportion of the population that might be litigious, you don't want to be storing up problems down down the line. So the better informed and trained and educated people are, the better. Puts up everybody's PI cover. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, and the trouble is you don't know what you don't know. That's what's yes. scary. Yep. Yes. Yeah. So you were happy um, toddling along, running the dental studio. And then back in 2022, which obviously was in the pipeline way before that, you then decided to set up a squat, a private squat dental practice in the centre of Leeds, which is the Dental Architects, which yeah. if anybody listening hasn't seen it, Google it for sure, because this is an amazing looking practice. Looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it's an amazing looking practice. Doesn't look like a practice, does it really? No. You know, apart no. from the chairs, but when you look at the whole reception and, and you've been very clever with the, you know, the patient, videos and stuff like yeah. that it doesn't look like a no it's very smart so a squat practice is is an incredibly hard thing to do so on a on a scale of one to ten how how hard was it because most people don't ever see the end result you know those the bit before that doesn't necessarily get seen can i ask so. a question before you answer that did you think of it pre-covid during COVID, post covid it was sorry during yeah so it was it was a completely opportunity opportunistic thing um my husband's in property and he just bought um this building this beautiful like neo-gothic um five-story building in the center of leeds and he wanted me to come and have a look at it and we didn't have much else to do so um i went and had a look and it was like a complete building site so they stripped it was gutted so there's no floors no ceilings no walls nothing oh. and um I just walked in and I just, it like hit me. So I wasn't looking to open a practice or anything like that, but I just kind of, all I could see was like this Invisalign practice. And then it just kind of went from there really. So it was a complete opportunistic thing, which is me all over. I get these stupid ideas and then um, it just went from there really, kind of snowballed out of control. <laughs> <laughs> it was too late to turn back. <laughs> Once you'd committed. Yeah, and I told and too many people. <laughs> <laughs> Man, that's probably quite a good lesson, isn't it? If you tell people, it has to happen. Well, yeah, but, 
but but I think <laughs> I think with goals and all those sorts of things, I think if you start telling people, it does it puts pressure on you to make sure accountable to, in a to sort follow of bizarre it through, way, doesn't, doesn't it? it? So how how tough was it? Did it did it go to plan? Did it go to time? Did it go to budget? Or did you miss all of those things? None of that. Um, so out of ten, I'd say how hard was it? Like a hundred. Um, <laughs> yeah, obviously, think of a budget, triple it. Um, did it go to time? Now, the budget I- thing, though, Martina, was the budget because you misjudged or was it one of those ones of when you start to see it evolve, you just got more excited about, you, so you yeah, added? Yeah, I think you stop, you, you know, when it's kind of, you think, I've got this opportunity now, like I've spent years refining my patient journey, I'm building my whole new practice around this patient journey and you can't compromise because you know you've only got this one opportunity to Mm. create something really unique and really beautiful and I think it really was for me a kind of expression of myself Mm. and then uh, my way of you know I'm not very good at art or anything like that but um, it was my way of expressing myself in a business it's a weird Mm. thing to say but that's kind of what it was and so yeah, I think, it, and it just got bigger and bigger, like physically mm. bigger and bigger as well. Like it was only supposed to be two or three surgeries. Now it's got potential for nine. I took another floor. You know, it just all spiraled out of control um, yeah. in my head. And that's where we ended up. So, yeah. but, but you yeah. say about that representation of you, I think that's the very best end of private dentistry i think when you go into practice and it's a reflection of the principal and the team and it feels quite personal i think that's uh, uh, for me quite a clear distinction between mm. corporate dentistry and, and independent dentistry it has personality and mm. culture and vision More congruent of, isn't it yeah, with the it's, it, it's led by an individual's vision and passion i think you see that in in what you've achieved and what you've created there you can see that that was created by a person it didn't kind of go through a corporate machine and that's what got churned out because mm. it wouldn't have got churned out in that style. No. And I think that discerning patients get drawn to that sort of environment. Mm. It would look like every Hilton so. hotel in the world. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So there's there's a lot of people that listen to this who, who we talk to a lot of people who have this ambition of creating a squat practice. What would be your, your two bits of advice to somebody who was thinking about setting up a squat <laughs> dental practice? You've got to only limit it to two. Yeah, and there might be loads. One of them is not, don't do it. No. <laughs> yeah, I would say don't do it. Um, I think it, it's about having a good team around you. So, you know, when you it depends what your experience is because obviously I was quite an experienced practice owner so to me I knew exactly what I needed to do Mm. I also had years of building contacts with suppliers builders my bank um and all that kind of thing so for me I suppose I was in a um I had a little bit of a head start in that way and that I wasn't going into the unknown I knew exactly in my head what I was going to need to achieve to deliver it um and so that that was really good but if you're starting if you're just you're an associate and you're wanting you know you've got no idea how to run a business you've got no Mm. idea you know what the compliance is for a start you've got you've Mm. got you've never gone through a CQC inspection you've never (laughs) you know gone to the bank before for a loan and I think it's about kind of trying to build those contacts, build those relationships in advance. Mm. If you 
that's something you want to do, find a builder that you really trust. Um, you know, just start meeting those suppliers. And, and because it, at the end of the day, you are going to be working with people and it's having yeah. the relationships with those people that are going to help you and believe mm. in you. And to be honest, like I couldn't have done any of it without the fact that people just believed in the project. Mm. You know, yeah. Yeah, but also that comes from you, your passion and mm. you energising them to be part of that project. It would have pulled them it along. Mm. I was going to say, it's did you manage the development? Uh, so there was um, a project manager in terms of the build. Um, but, yeah, obviously every stage in terms of the architectural designs, every little last to the plug sockets mm. I had was involved with, yeah, every yeah. single part of it. It's a lot of effort and input, isn't it? You know, because you're also oh, running a practice in a family. <laughs> oh, effort. <laughs> you know, it's like flip. <laughs> oh, we've got a site meeting. I can just imagine it's like, oh, by the way, we need to talk to you about the fact we found that you can't do this, but do that. In, in a weird way, was lockdown, was COVID fortuitous in a way that it actually created some time and space for you to design this out, plan it, and work no, out? Why is everybody else just making really. banana bread? You were building a practice. We weren't, <laughs> we weren't the practices weren't in lockdown. We were back to work as normal by that so point. So this this was after the middle of this yeah, was after this June. Was after. So you... um, yeah, but I think the I think the other piece of advice I would give is just don't procrastinate with your decision making. You know, sometimes I think people find it very hard to make decisions. You're going to have to make a hundred decisions every day, yeah. and you just have to make a decision. And sometimes it might be the wrong decision, and it yeah. might not be perfect. And I think too many people wait for perfect. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think you you can sometimes never get anything achieved if you do that. I think you're right, isn't it? People are quite linear because they think sometimes there's a right decision and a wrong decision, but actually there could be ten decisions, and actually nine are okay. They're just different decisions. <laughs> yeah, sometimes you just need to make a decision. Yeah, I think Barack Obama he was talking in Brazil, and somebody asked him a similar thing about you know you're making global decisions and how mm. do you make them, and he says fifty one percent. He said, when you've got information that means you're 51% confident, make a decision. And then it's exactly what you just said. If the if more information comes to light, don't be afraid to change your decision. Mm. But at yeah. least if you make a decision, you will keep moving forward. Whereas if you don't make a decision, basically nothing happens. Mm. That's right. Yeah. How, how do you split your time now between Wakefield and Leeds? Because you've obviously got two practices that you're running and managing now. How, how does that work? Yeah, so... Um, I do two and a half days clinical at the dental architect. I don't do any clinical anymore at the dental studio. Um, right. I have an amazing practice manager, Mel, who um, who's kind of made her way up from being my nurse uh, 10 years ago to then head nurse to now practice manager. And then I have Amanda, who's my business manager across both sites and practice managers, the dental architect as well, um, who's absolutely amazing. Um, so... I, I feel like it's interesting because at the dental studio, my my older practice, you know, like today I just went to the staff meeting. I didn't have anything to do with setting it up, but they're so empowered there now. You know, I've lost, I've took that control. I'm out of control of that. You know, I just turn up once a week. I have like an hour and a half meeting with my practice manager and then I rock up at kind of staff meetings and Christmas do's and I feel like I'm like the nice aunt now you know who's the fun parent because i'm not there every day going do this do that you know you're not doing that right mm. stop leaving that mess i just come along and like how, how does that <laughs> that sit with you because when you described 
the way you created the dental architect, it sounded like there was a lot of micromanagement. You were involved in all the small details, all the small decisions. So whilst some of it was delegated, you were very involved in that process. Yet what you just described at the dental studio is that you just described the art of delegation in that you yeah. didn't have good people. So yeah. are you able to kind of dial in and dial out as you need to, or do you find delegating not a natural position for you? I don't think dentists are good at delegating in general. Mm. I find it really hard to delegate, but I have so much faith in my manager. That mm. practice has been running for so long. It kind of, they know what's expected of them. It's a really, really stable very, very busy patient base. So I don't feel like I need to be in there micromanaging everything that's going on there because I feel there's an amazing team. I've got an amazing head nurse and head receptionist and they just, they run that practice and they know if you, you know, if you share your values with your team and they understand what your, the practice values are. And we actually had a session a while back with the team where we actually built our values as a team and you know what their value i have my own core values and two out of the three values they picked from all the words in the world they could have picked were the same as my core values so you naturally over time you collect people who align with your core values and if they don't align with your core values they leave so yeah. you collect this team and i went in this morning for this staff meeting and i just look around and every time i'm like i just love you guys you know they're, they're great mm. When you've got a very new practice, it's a whole different kettle of fish because it's brand new. There's no, tri there's no tribe, mm. is there? There's no tribe no. for people no. to, to, to see how it works. No. So it's like that process takes time. So you have to be a lot more involved in that. And then when, eventually it'll get to the situation where that's sort of running itself as well. But it it's not going to happen overnight. Mm. Did you move? Did any of your team from Wakefield move over to Leeds? Mm, or was, it, was it a completely yeah. fresh start? No, I've got um, several associates that work at both sites. Right. Um, I had some a nurse that came over, TCO that came over. So yeah, it wasn't starting from absolute scratch. Um, yeah. So it's a yeah, bit it's of seed nice. there. Yeah. So in terms of some of those values and culture, you'd yeah. already built something special at Wakefield. So you, like yeah. you say, you had a you had a little bit of a start, which was created by you in, in, in Leeds already. And then as those new people came in, mm. there was that sort of an embryo of a tribe already, yeah. which is interesting. Do you still enjoy your, your two and a half clinical days? I do. I, I think I would miss it if I didn't do it. Um, I think I'll probably eventually cut it down even more because I do like the business side of it as well. Um, but yeah, I still like my clinical dentistry. Mm, mm. So when you, in your, in your given week, what's your, what's your best day of the week? Is it clinical dentistry or is it working on the business? <laughs> I like both. I feel like, I'll be honest, when I'm in surgery, that's like my comfort zone because right. that's like, I'm in control. I'm confident with it. And I think, and that's the area you spent most of your, your professional yeah, training to know how exactly. to do. But in running a business, I've never done any business training or anything like that. And I think that's hard mm. when you, you know, so I love it, but it is challenging. But then you can have challenging days in surgery as well. So, mm. 
Yeah. There's a there's a saying which is learn from your mistakes, which I think is a, a really oh. crap phrase. I think you should really learn from other people's mistakes. Given the entrepreneurial journey that, that you've had, what tip would you give to people who are kind of starting out on theirs? It, what's the one thing that's really stood out for you that you wish you'd have known 15 years ago? Um, I think just to believe in yourself and to be authentic to yourself because it wasn't until the penny dropped that um, I, I didn't really understand what made a good leader or anything like that. And I think the penny dropped for me in COVID um, that I stopped listening to what other people were doing or telling me to do. And I started going with my own gut feeling or educated <laughs> you know, mm. decisions. And I started realizing that when I did that, life was a lot easier. And I was a better leader because I wasn't trying to be a leader like someone else that I admired or. Mm -hmm. uh, so I think just be true to yourself. And I think that comes with confidence and age and experience as well. But if you're true to yourself, then you can't really ever go wrong because you're just doing it the, your way. And mm -hmm. if your way is well-intentioned and ethical and with the best interests of everybody around you at heart, then yeah. I don't mm. think you can make a wrong decision. No. Mm. And I think also if you're your authentic self, mm. people can sign in or sign out of that. They might be like, actually, I don't like the way you do that. That doesn't make them right or you wrong, mm. it, no. but it means you're going to filter your tribe is easier to find exactly. because you're consistent mm. in how you are. And like I exactly. say, some people will love your style and some people might not, but that's okay but at least you're going to make sure you've got a bunch of people that kind of follow you for who you are as opposed mm. to who you're trying to be. Exactly. And I think, you know, as well, people have always got opinion about you and often it's when they haven't met you. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> always. I think people are surprised when they meet me sometimes. Um, but, yeah, um, it's interesting, isn't it? But you can only just be yourself and people are always mm. going to have an opinion and that's yeah. fine. Because that's the them yeah. issue, isn't it? Oh, and the reality is we can't control other people's opinions of ourselves. Are, yeah. yeah, so we just kind of continue as we are. One of the other things that you've, you've, you're very passionate about is uplifting women in dentistry as well, in that you co-founded Inspiring Women in Dentistry. As, as, as two white males, it would be very interesting to get your perspective on what's it like to be a woman in dentistry are things getting better, getting worse? Yeah, what are the challenges that, that, that you would have that perhaps wouldn't necessarily be obvious to certain parts of the There's profession? There's definitely more women in dentistry yes. than there used to be, for sure. Absolutely. So I think the challenges are changing for women in dentistry. And I think, you know, I've never, I can't say I've come across overt sexism that I'm aware of. I think maybe mild sexism but I know kind of female dentists of a slightly older generation who have literally come across outright sexism but from that kind of old school male mm. white mm. male um dominated yeah uh, place whereas I I think there's so much effort going into dentistry now too as we know there's more women going into dentistry but there's actually I think you might be able to back me up on this. There's less women owning practices now. Would that be right from your kind yeah. of Yeah, the, the most of our buyers would be males. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, interestingly enough, though, Martina, I would say that over the last five years, more women are buying practices than they probably have done before, which is quite interesting. Previously, it was a rarity, Mm. but now there do seem to be more women who are saying, actually, no, I am going to buy a practice. But but also, in my experience, women tend to make outstanding principles as well. I think quite often their, their soft skills and the compassion is is more engendered in the team than perhaps with with, with men. So I, I think where where there women do move into a position of being a principal, yeah. they they do an outstanding job. There's definitely a difference between the way men and women run their practices, mm. and neither is right or wrong. No, no, mm. um, it's different. If you if you sit in a room full of female practice owners, which obviously I have, the conversation is around the team. Mm. Yeah. If you sit in a room, this is just my own experience, but if you sit in a room of male practice owners, which I also have done, the conversation is around money and profit. And you actually need both. You know, you need to care about both to have a successful business because ain't no business gonna, (laughs) you're not gonna keep people's jobs if you can't make a profit. Yeah. But then to make a profit, you need to look after your team. Hmm. So I think both is really important. And um, I think we can learn from each other from that. But I think the challenges that women have are different now. I think I know for myself, like working mother guilt is a huge, huge issue. And, you know, wanting, you know, that being torn between spending time with your children and then doing something that you're passionate about in your work. And I feel like. And is that a self-inflicted um, mother guilt or is it society also doing insane things that, that adds to that burden? I think it's both. Right. I think it's both. Yeah, I still think there's an expectation of women are the main child carers. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> not in my marriage, but, you know, um, whether, it, you know, I think there are situations and society still expects that. And, you know, mm. I think that's, always been like that and you know I think it's going to take a lot to change it but I think women also put a lot on themselves in terms of like this desire to be perfect before we do anything this desire Mm. to have a perfect Instagram post of a before and after before we put it on Instagram this desire to kind of I've got to if I want to buy a business you know I want everything to be perfect and you can't go through life like that like you need to just do everything the best you can but Sometimes you'll never start if you wait for perfect, like I say. Yeah, and yeah. then, you know, you've got imposter syndrome. Men suffer from imposter syndrome. It's so over-talked about now. But I think women need more mentoring than women do. I think women need a champion. Women need um, more female role models, which is what I feel my responsibility is. And that's where I mm. feel I come in. Because if I put my head above the parapet, then shots are going to get fired but that's actually fine by me. Mm. And the I thing think is, your your strong I, confidence, so you can be that I tall popper. Yeah, other women. Yeah, that's cool. And then there's this like you know this tall poppy syndrome, isn't there? There's this kind mm. of when you you know, and I until I started to become a little bit more high profile, I never come across it. And then suddenly, I read about this tall poppy syndrome where you know successful women kind of get cut down. And the studies show it's usually by men. And mm. that was really interesting to me because it suddenly made a few situations click in my head. And mm. I was like, oh my God, 
that's what was happening and I didn't see it. Mm. And I think that women are in general very, very supportive of each other. But as soon as, and that's very, you know, broad, but this is what studies are proving, when men see successful women, you know, they see it as a threat or there's even jealousy. And, you know, I think that comes into play sometimes. And I wouldn't say I've come across it a lot. And I'd actually be, I'm so proud to say I know so many men in dentistry who are absolutely smashing it and they couldn't be more supportive and more amazing. And I have so many good friends who are really smashing it in dentistry who are male. Um, and I almost think it's those that maybe feel like that threat. Mm. That's where it comes from. Mm. Well, I think, I think there's a saying, isn't there, about happiness, that everybody wants you to be happy, but just not any more happy than they are. Mm. And I think that probably comes through into success as well, that, that you know, there's lots of people rooting for you to have success, it, but just don't be more successful than me. <coughs> that that, that, that yeah. might lead to some people kind of trying to sort of undermine you or, or, or pull you back in some way. Yeah, because you, you, you have had incredible success. You know, your your practice at, at Wakefield, if, if you'd have stayed there with that, that's still a phenomenal practice. But to then go on and do the dental architect and the work you do with Invisalign and your courses and you are high profile, undoubtedly there are going to be people that will want to take a pop shot at you. Yeah, because I'm a target. Just, yeah, that's just the way it works, isn't it? Which isn't right. Which is shame. But, but that's, it, that it, is it's a crime it shame. It's a crime shame. But, but credit to you mind, for kind I of... I why I don't mind is because those people who do that, they're always the people that don't know me. Mm. They don't mm. actually know me. And I'm like, okay, well, say what you want because you don't know me. And the people that know me, if they were to do that, then that would be a different story because yeah. that's yeah. not personal. So there you go. Mm. Oh, good for you. Good mm. for you. I'd like to say I, I've, I've only met you a few times. I think we first met at, at, at a course. Um and you just have an, an air of confidence about you, um, which is unusual. Lots of people kind of don't have that, that presence. And a lot of it may have come from your, your upbringing and, you know, your, your, your strong family. It might, be the, might be the Essex blood in you and the success <laughs> you've had in business. But I think it's, it's inspiring. And I don't think it's just a woman thing. I think it's inspiring generally across dentistry. I think people should be looking at, at you and other people and saying, look, this is what can be achieved. And mm. I think particularly mm. for women, it's very strong. But I don't think it's just exclusively for no, women. No, no. I think if people are successful, they're successful regardless of, of, of their sex. I yeah. think anybody should be able to look at you and, and be inspired by it. Martina, we always ask our guests the same two questions, get a, a little uh, idea as to, as to your thinking. If you could be the fly on the wall in a situation... What situation would that be? Where would you be and who'd be there? That's such a hard question. I don't have an answer. <laughs> um, if I could be a fly on the wall. Hmm. Wouldn't it be really cool? Like, it's just a real general thing, but wouldn't it be really cool to be at, like, some kind of, um, like, amazing legends party like say like David Bowie had an amazing party or Freddie Mercury and just like be at that party and actually see what goes on behind yeah. those mm. you, you hope it's as as fun and as ridiculous as you imagine as opposed to literally everyone's just sitting around chatting Playing about what they, yeah what they did last <laughs> weekend <laughs> yeah no, <laughs> you so want, just... like, no you want 
you want people going around with you want the quick, full rock and roll don't you you want yeah, the full rock you want, and roll you want to be the fly in the wall actually you don't want to be the fly in the wall with Shane Warne just before he died because by all accounts that's not a great one is it? he was a bit lively he was old Shane wasn't yeah. he <laughs> he parted that man parted yeah no definitely. that would be good that would be good to see what the reality that so of that fun. is that would be so fun and if you were given the opportunity to meet somebody you can sit down and have a glass of wine with a with a person who would you like to meet i mean that's just there's so many people but i think my 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 son dexter he's like right into his kind of um metal and um, kind of 80s, 90s rock music. You listen to Nirvana and Metallica oh, wow. and stuff at the moment. And so I'm kind of get. I've never thought I would call myself a Metallica fan. I didn't even know who they were, but now I can like name all their 10 albums or something in the backstory. <laughs> but um, he's he's really got into Queen, and I've always loved Queen. You yeah. know, growing up, listening to Queen all the time. And one of his favorite bands is Queen. So he's been watching that film, Bohemian Rhapsody. Wow. Well, uh, yeah. And I think it would. I really regret never having seen Queen with Freddie Mercury live because I just think that would have been amazing, and I would have loved to met Freddie Mercury because um, mm. I just think he was an absolutely fascinating, inspiring, incredible character. showman, incredible showman, just unbelievable. Um, so just because that's my current theme going mm. on in the house. Well, you'll be coming back on again at some point and things might have yeah. moved on. You might come back on and say, actually, my son's now into Aha and I want to meet Morton Hagen or whatever his name yeah. is. That's interesting. Wasn't there well, something about Freddie and his teeth as well? Wasn't it Freddie something to do with they recommended that they take some, that he had something like orthodontistry, orthodontistry or teeth removed, but he wouldn't do it because he said it would change his vocal no, range. Really Isn't there something about it. his teeth or something, his bite or yeah, something? Yeah, so they said like he didn't want it to change his it, 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 um, it helped his range. He thought it helped his yeah, range. Yeah, that's right. Right, yeah. 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 So look, there's a link. There we go. Look at that. Between <laughs> look at that. Freddie Mercury and orthodontics. Look at that. Wrapped it all together nicely. Look at that. Well done. That, well done, I'll tell you. That was, <laughs> that was slick. <laughs> like a cashmere cod piece. That was a slick and a smooth. <laughs> Martini, we'll, 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 we'll let you carry on with your, your busy world and your busy life and your practice, but thank you so much for your time today. I yeah, think thanks it's, very it's much, been brilliant. Yeah. And oh, we wish you, you all the very best with your continued thank success. You. You've, you've achieved you. so much and, and you've got so much more time in the profession to do more. So now we wish you the, well, the very I'm best for it. <laughs> 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 I need life. There you go. You can... You, you, you can climb off the therapy couch and go and have a lay down. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Until the next time. <laughs> Excellent. Look after yourself, Martina. Keep well. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Cheers. Dada. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dentology, where we discuss the business of dentistry. If you like what you heard, please do subscribe where you found this episode. That would be amazing. And also follow us on Instagram.